Young business leaders, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 116. I am excited to have you guys back today. We're uh, still kind of figuring out the new format, so things have changed a little bit. If, you, um, if you're wondering why things sound a little bit different, uh, go back a couple of podcasts and you'll kind of see uh, some of the directions that we're going with the Young Business Leader podcast and, and kind of how things are changing uh, there. Today, I want to jump right into my conversation with my guest. Uh, my guest here today is Mark Delaney. Um, some of you guys, if you're in the Tulsa area, you've, you maybe heard him speaking around uh, the community at different organizations. I've got uh, a couple of opportunities to hear him speak, uh, and he talks and focuses a lot on uh, family paradigms, which is uh, the organization that he started. Uh, Mark has spent his life in the people building business. From pastoring to teaching, Mark helps people understand their lives in order to navigate effectively. Since becoming empty nesters, he and his wife have decided to focus their lives on helping others build a legacy in their families. Family Paradigms serves couples by providing them the information they need to build a powerful family. Mark, if you don't mind, say hello to the audience. Tell them a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into it. Well, Evan, I appreciate being uh, on your podcast. Uh, I hope the next uh, 45 minutes or so we can help uh, inspire some people. I think that every conversation is a chance for a, a changed life. I, I don't know about you, but every room I walk into, I'm either looking for someone that uh, I can be a benefit to or someone that can be a benefit to me. And so I just hope the next few minutes we can be a benefit to some people. I I just uh, I, I love inspiring people, encouraging people. And I've had so many people do that for me. And so as I look at life, I just feel like uh, every opportunity with people is a chance to interact and, and move each other forward in life. Well, I, we appreciate you taking the time to be a part of this. And I think the, the podcast uh, ultimately becomes my excuse to have deeper conversations with people. I, I think uh, I'm kind of at the point in my life where I understand that the small conversations lead to the big conversations, but mm -hmm. ultimately when you can have those deeper conversations, uh, maybe get a little bit past that surface level, you'll actually start to see the real people uh, that you're surrounding yourselves with. And hopefully you get to the point where you're starting to encourage each other and you're actually starting to build relationships. I don't think that we can have the kind of relationships. I don't think we can survive as, as leaders with the, the surface level relationships that we have or that we think that we need to have. And I think ultimately when we can have those deeper conversations and take ourselves to that next level, that's what's going to really make things great. And that's what I really respect about what you're doing with Family Paradigms because you kind of have uh, – taking a step back from, um, you know, your journey as a leader in your family uh, and as your kids have grown and, and gone out of the house uh, and, and, and decided to say, hey, you know, I think we've kind of come across some exciting things here that we could potentially share with other people. And you're now investing those uh, into that next generation of families or people maybe kind of uh, just getting started all the way to uh, maybe approaching that empty nester stage. So if you don't mind, uh, talk a little bit about that journey for you. Where did, where did that come from and uh, what has been the result of it so far? Well, my whole life has been in the people building business in, in churches and in private schools. Most of it, the last 20 years has been in private schools, uh, teaching kids and uh, watching families up close and, uh, I, I'm just, oh, I've always studied people and, and how people progress and how people move from childhood to adulthood and watching families up close uh, to see how they progress over the course of time and, and the, the concept of building a legacy and what that looks like. 
Um, I've just seen too much in my life when it comes to family that I, I just, my heart beats every day to get in front of, of particularly men and help them see how they can build a legacy. Because the, the look, it, it's stacked against us. You know, mm-hmm. our family lives, it's, it's not natural and easy in our culture. Marriage is not easy and natural. The raising of kids is not easy and natural. But we can be very effective. <laughs> and uh, I look at family relationships. If you uh, imagine one of those uh, brain teasers, like two pieces of metal that you have to get apart, you know, you can pull on those things for years and you can pull harder and harder. You just can't get them apart. But, you know, if someone shows you, you just twist them a little bit differently and they almost fall apart. Mm-hmm. And that's how so many relationship problems are in families. If someone just shows you a different way, you know, instead of pulling for years, just a simple push. And it's amazing how something can be solved. So uh, I'm, I'm with you on the conversation thing. I I think that most of the men that I help, they are one conversation away. Uh, but oftentimes in the area of family, it's this uh, secret place. I, I Some of the businessmen I interact with, for instance, uh, I can see on their calendar, they tell me about all the people they network with for sales and for how do you deal with, with uh, employee retention and whatnot. And I often ask them, who do you network with for your real business? Mm-hmm. which is your family. <laughs> you know, what's your calendar show about that? Because, and uh, it, not to put guys down, or, but just to encourage them that if, if, if they will get it right in their marriage first, there'll be a domino effect into the other areas of their life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, something that you said a little bit earlier uh, into that, and it, it kind of, uh, flows out of the conversation of even just kind of having those deeper relationships. I think a lot of times you talk to people and they don't necessarily have a plan or a goal for their family life. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have a purpose statement, they have a mission statement for their business. But um, I mean, you talked about leaving a legacy. I don't know that I was thinking about leaving a legacy when I was 20, 25, even mm-hmm. into my early thirties. Um, I think that's something that eventually in my journey has come out on its own, but I think sometimes you need to have those conversations with some of those people to maybe inspire you or show you the benefits of working towards a legacy because then your family has a purpose. I I think uh, sometimes you just look at a family and you're just like, Oh, that's a great family, but they kind of got that way because it was designed to be that way. There was a purpose put in front of them that they wanted to accomplish. Maybe it was modeled by their parents and that's kind of a, a part of a family tradition that they have, but in some cases it wasn't. And so they had to be very intentional with the kind of family life that they created. And so I'm really curious to kind of hear your thoughts about creating what that legacy looks like uh, and, and how you kind of get to that point. Cause I think it's great to say, you know, we want to have a legacy for ourselves, but what what does having a legacy truly look like um, when when you're when you're creating and crafting a, a mission for your family? Well, I, I love how you use the word intentionality. I, I say oftentimes to people that parenting and marriage it's not about talent. You do not have to be talented. You don't even have to be intelligent. Mm-hmm. But you must be intentional. You must be intentional. Build. You know. Creating a legacy uh, with family is about realizing the great weight 
that's upon your life as a leader in your own household. The great weight that marriage is not just this little uh, accessory in life. That marriage becomes, really marriage is the closest thing that brings us into this crucible of understanding the gospel and even just our own life. Uh, For instance, I don't think you begin to live life as a person until you come to this place of surrender, Mm -hmm. where life is not about me. And marriage is this great opportunity for us to come face to face with, yep, life's not about you. Because marriage does not work until two people decide, okay, it's not about me. I'm going to put you first. And so, uh, the reason I'm, I'm so captivated by this mission we're on, and the reason I left teaching a couple of years ago is because I see the stories up close of people who build so much around their life, but the building of the family never happened. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because they were bad people. It wasn't because they were even careless. It was just that they never saw it. Mm-hmm. They never knew it. They, life goes so fast, and we think that if our kids have good grades— and they're excelling at some kind of childhood activity, we think our child's doing great. And, and, and those things really can be, quite frankly, distractions. Mm-hmm. Because when as you become an adult, we're not getting, we don't have re- review sheets and, and tests that we can prepare for. And life is, here's a key element that I've noticed. Childhood no longer looks like adulthood. It wasn't that long ago in history that a young boy would be raised on a farm with a father and his mom and his, his siblings, and, and your childhood was chickens and cows in a field. And from all the way through ages three, you're feeding the chickens, and age four, you're milking a cow, and age five, you're learning to put seeds in the ground. And as you look at life, you assume this is what it is. You didn't spend a lot of time, what do I want to be when I grow up? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to have chickens, cows, and a field. But you were excited. And my chickens and my cows and my field. And so that boy, ages three, four, five, all the way through age 14, 15, by that time, he has milked the cows so many times, and he has planted seeds, and he has worked the fields, and he's prepared to walk into his adulthood, which looks a lot like his childhood. Mm-hmm. But now, childhood and adulthood in our culture is two separate things to the point that as parents, we can help our kids become very successful at being children, but at the same time, completely miss how to help them become functioning adults. And so I deal with young people on a regular basis, guys who are 20, 22, and they had a successful childhood, but now they're completely lost. And it's because the, a huge question that I think as parents we can, we can help our kids grasp at a young age, and that is, what is the purpose of, of me? What is my purpose? Mm-hmm. The goals in life of good grades and even the goals in life of a scholarship, the goals of life of being good at a sport, those things are cute. But those things fade away so quickly. When a person takes hold of 
a purpose in their life. It changes everything they do. Here's a, here's a way I, exp- I would explain it to people that I think as people, we're all naturally selfish. <laughs> it's just kind of how we are. It's our flesh, it's our flesh the nature of, of us. We all naturally live like dogs. When we let our dog out the front door, our dog simply thinks, what do I see? What do I want? And he runs in a direction of what he wants until we say, no, stop. And he stops, and then he sees something else that he wants. And he goes until we say, stop. And he just repeats that process day after day, month after month, year after year. Well, kids are not that different. What we have to do as adults is not be people that just continually tell them stop, but help them gain a purpose for life so they begin to think, what should I want? Mm -hmm. What should I do? And when your child begins to think for themselves like that, by the age of 12, 13, 14, 15, as a parent, you can find that you can step back and you think, wow, look at this kid go. I, I'm, I'm not telling him stop very many times because he has found his own purpose in life. I, I don't think there's any more important thing a parent can do than to help a child discover his purpose in life. And oftentimes we confuse it as parents and as educators. The answer to the question of purpose is oftentimes occupation. Mm-hmm. Occupation is an activity. And it's very important. We use our purpose in our occupation. But the answer to the question of my purpose in life, uh, be an engineer. That's 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 an activity. Similar to in childhood when a child plays uh, a sport. Uh, That's just an activity. If a child says, I'm a basketball player, you say, no, son, you're not a basketball player. Mm -hmm. You are, first of all, a son. You're secondly, a sibling. You are not a basketball player. That is something that you do. Right. I'm telling you, if a child gets purpose in their heart, it changes how they look at their entire world. And instead of being like the dog that runs out into the world or looks at their phone and says, what do I see? What do I want? When they begin to say, what should I want? What should I do? It changes everything. And then as parents, instead of us being the people that just constantly shout no and have that friction, we can realize, wow, look, look at our kids begin to go. They're living with vision and purpose, and they make decisions that will just shock you. Mm-hmm. And so that's an exciting message that we help give to people. Help your kid understand the purpose of why they live. And I'll just give an example just from my life at what I believe real purpose is. Like like my identity personally is that I'm a vessel. That's what I am. I am just a vessel to be used. And that means things like reputation is not what I'm about. It means that uh, if I'm a vessel, I'm not a container. So I'm not going out to see how much I can get from life. I'm looking to see what I can give. And my purpose is to help people. And so with that kind of purpose, anywhere I go, any occupation I take on, 
any location, any time of day, I can simply live out that purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, when a child begins to see the purpose of his life, for instance, when he sees that his life is something he's supposed to be doing something with, he's supposed to be giving to his world, well, every room he walks into, he or she will function differently. One way I teach this to, to parents to talk to their kids is to say, sit your kids down and in, in a casual conversation, say, if you could divide everyone in the world into two different categories, what categories would you choose? And they'll say all kinds of crazy stuff, which is fun. Hmm. But then lead the conversation and say, you know, what if, what if we divided the world into these two categories? Person A is the kind of person that's looking for a bright light to stand under. And they want the world to look at them and give them attention. They're always saying, look at me, give to me. And they look, every day they look for what they can take from the world. The other person is the person that believes that there's a light on the inside of them that they're supposed to shine on other people. And the mission is to see what you can give with your life. That's the kind of talks that you can begin to challenge the thinking Mm. of your child. Boy, when a child embraces that life is not about what they can get, but life is about what they can give, they'll live differently in every activity, in every location, in every classroom, they'll live differently. Well, that was a lot to take in. <laughs> so thank you for sharing all that because there's there's a lot of really good thoughts there. Um, I love how we're talking about purpose versus accomplishments or occupation because I think that's something that even like we get hung up on in uh, in our journey. Like I, there's there's plenty of times that, you know, you're, you're I, I think back to my childhood, I should say. I think back to my childhood for like middle school, high school, and then that kind of hard decision of what do I do for college? Cause I felt like at that point I'm, I'm picking out my career. And so that like, I'm going to go through this menu of majors and this is essentially the thing that I'm picking that's going to define me for the rest of my life. And I think the ultimate goal should have been to figure out who I was before mm-hmm. I got to that big decision, because if I had known who I was, then I could have looked at that menu of careers and said, all right, which of these things lines up with me? Not not what do I want to be, but what is the best version of me mm. in, that, in that list? And so when that purpose is inside of you and you understand what you're trying to do and you're trying to accomplish, especially at that young age, and I think we as parents uh, are challenged by what you're, you're saying here is, you know, how do we tap into that for our kids? Um, if we can do that, that's going to help them launch uh, a lot lot quicker and faster in life. Uh, it's going to set them up for success, but it's also going to help them prepare for failure because at some point failure mm-hmm. will happen to them, but their identity won't be tied to that failure because it's not going to match up with their purpose. Yeah. And so when that happens, ultimately they're going to rebound quickly from that as opposed to wallowing it and all of a sudden saying, you know, this, I thought this was me or that was me. And now that's been taken away. Now I don't know what I am. Now they're, now they're lost. They're, they're floating through, uh, through life, just trying to figure out what the next thing was because they have no foundation to build themselves off of. So you're so so right, Evan. And it is an epidemic that's happening everywhere. 
especially mm-hmm. in our boys, mm-hmm. especially in our boys who put a lot of emphasis on sports through their whole childhood. Mm-hmm. It becomes their identity because everyone around them in childhood looks at them as a ball player. That's where they get their attention. And even when the child's not trying to make it their identity, but when everyone around you treats you the way they treat you because you play football, it's hard for it not to be your identity. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, sports, your child plays sports. It's like this train they get on. And they're on that train, maybe from kindergarten all the way through high school, maybe even into college. But at some point, you're on that sports train and you've been playing basketball or baseball, however many weekends a year. At some point, you're sitting on that train and someone comes along and says, can you come here for a second? And they walk that kid, that ball player, out the back of the train and you're, you're standing there on the back of the train. The wind is blowing through the, through the air, through your hair. And, and the man looks at the kid and says, well... Thanks for playing. And they push him off the train (laughs) and they go tumbling down the side of the tracks and land in a pile of dirt and gravel. And they look around and they say, who am I? Mm -hmm. And those young men I deal with on a regular basis, um, they really have no, they have nothing else to hang their hat on. And they have, they're just void of any kind of purpose, void of any kind of, uh, of focus, because everything they did, they thought it's, it's, it's what they were, mm-hmm. but it was just an activity. I just recently spoke with a, a young man in his young 20s who he, he, his, his family had an occupation for him that he was working, but boy, he thought, this is just horrible. He got to a place. He called it a midlife crisis. He said, "This Horror is a life crisis." But okay, yeah. <laughs> he said, "This is horrible." He just he hated it, and the thought of doing that the rest of his life just seemed like a horrible idea. And he hunkered down in his house and began a steady diet of of excessive gaming and alcohol and Adderall and anything that would stimulate him at all. And of course he could no longer be able to get up in the morning to go to work. So he had no job and boy, just completely lost And the reality is his story is, is not phenomenal. It's very normal. It's an absolute epidemic. And this is, this is what compels us to talk to parents when their kids are seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, Hey, there is a zombie apocalypse, and it may very well be your son that is slowly turning into a zombie. <laughs> we got to do something <laughs> to stop this. I mean, it's coming. And so that's the conversation we like to engage parents with is like, look, I know your kid's getting straight A's, but straight A's in school do not necessarily mean all that much in terms of life. Yeah. And I think what we're talking about is we're talking about we celebrate accomplishments, but we don't celebrate purpose. So what are some Mm. things that we can do to better celebrate or encourage our 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 kids and our family towards its purpose? Mm. Well, it's purpose and character are the things that we have to learn to celebrate Mm -hmm. in all things. Uh, we have to we have to help them learn from the earliest of ages. 
with all activities that we always speak of the character. A child getting a trophy will not help them grow up. But the child who worked hard and practiced and listened to his coach, that helps mm-hmm. him grow up. So whenever well, we, we celebrate them, that part right there for my kids. <laughs> Say that again. That's the one thing that I'm working on so hard. So I'm so glad you said that. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> yeah, just keep. I tell you, here's the thing about when you teach character to your kids. When you teach character, you're teaching everything. Mm-hmm. We get so focused on on using our kids for activities instead of using the activities for our kids. Mm. The difference is huge. When we get hyper-focused on how good our child can be in a sport, how much can we, how much can they develop in these skills? Our focus is wrong. The focus should be how much can we use this activity to develop our child? Mm -hmm. Character is the thing that we, we continually talk about, continually point to. And it's a slow drip. It is a slow, slow drip. It's something that you marinate their life in. From the earliest of ages in all activities, we're talking about working hard. For instance, my kids were always good. We're always uh, good students, always had good grades. We, we hardly ever talked about grades, rarely talked about grades, because it's about learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't look at the grades to see how they were doing. We asked them questions. What did you learn in school today? Tell me something you learned. We even sometimes, to make a point, would say, look, I don't care what your grades are. Well, we kind of care, but we, we're trying to make the point boldly that it's about the character of who you are. That's what we're measuring. Mm-hmm. We're not measuring you by the letter that a random teacher puts at the top of your piece of paper. So it's always character. And when you teach character, you teach everything. Mm. So let me ask you this, because you've been a teacher before. You were a teacher for a long period of time. And, and, and you've had kids of all, all different backgrounds and histories and, and whatever else. When Have you had kids that have been taught character and can you tell a difference as their teacher, even if they're not getting good grades? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my favorite uh, lessons to teach in school was to talk about how some of the some students that have the, the lower grades in school are the people that are most prepared for life. Matter of fact, when you have a child that is struggling in some way, they are ultimately the best students because they have to grind with you. They have to focus in because they feel like they're struggling. The child, I I call it the overprivileged child. (laughs) I always felt bad for the kids who life was easy for them. Yeah. As a teacher, they were so hard to reach. If it was the young girl who was very beautiful, and because of that, everyone just treats her like she's got everything. Or the boy who is extremely athletic, everyone treats him like, wow, you've arrived in life. Those are the students that I actually had the most like pain for. Like I I can't reach them because they don't need me because they don't need anything. Mm -hmm. They feel like they have it. In essence, they don't really have anything. They just have an activity. 
So the, the students who seemingly had it all were the students I was most worried about. The kids who had to grind it out, the kids who felt like they were too short or too slow or too dumb, those are the kids, boy, you could, you could teach them anything <laughs> because they had a hunger. Yeah. And when, when you laid out the buffet of whatever you were teaching that day, they had a spoon and a fork. They were ready to go. Yeah. So I loved struggling students uh, so much because they were so ready and they would receive. So how do you encourage those, those kids then? Because uh, everything is more difficult for them. It's not given to them. And maybe they're not even getting the best grades now because of that. So, so what are some things that even like, let's say, for example, your kid's coming home and, uh, you know, they're not getting the best grades, but you know, they're trying, you know, they're working hard, but you know, the, the, the system is telling them you're not quite cutting it. What, what are some things as a parent, as a home leader you can do to say, just because the world says this, just because the system says this does not mean you're a failure. And, and I think you can start getting into purpose right there. Oh, it, let me first of all say it's a glorious opportunity. <laughs> if you have a child who struggles at something when they're young, it may be the greatest gift that you have as a parent. Right. The greatest gift. So, first of all, I say just embrace it. Mm-hmm. Okay, my kid is horrible at spelling or horrible at math. Okay, we're going to embrace this because as you and I, as you and I know as adults, it's like we have to learn how to navigate failure. Because there's a lot of things that I'm horrible at. And so I'm going to identify with them. And I'm going to share stories from my own life. Look, there's things I'm not good at. And this is a perfect opportunity to encourage them as to how to face failure. I mean, what an incredible life lesson. The, the day, the, the moment that a, that a person learns how to navigate through failure is the same moment that a person is prepared to take on something in life. Because think about how many people live their life simply trying to protect themselves or insulate themselves from the possibility of failure. And when your child is 7, 8, 9, 10, if they are facing failure, yes, <laughs> this is like a wonderful thing. I'll, I'll tell you from my experiences with my kids, some of the greatest things were formed in them because they walked through failure. I would say the first thing I would do, um, if your child just struggles at something, embrace it. Don't be afraid of it. And and work on what you talked about. This is the perfect time for them to be like faced with, are you going to let this like make it be, is this going to be your label? Are you going to are you going to look down on yourself because you struggle at math? Are you going to let this, you know, okay, so you're not good at something in life. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to think that you are less as a person because of that? If this is something you want to get good at, why don't you change it? Why don't you why don't you bow up? <laughs> you want to get better at math? Why don't you do something about it? <laughs> so I'm definitely not a fan of taking away the struggle. And I tell you, I just want to reiterate that if your child is struggling with something, it's probably the greatest opportunity of their childhood to forge greatness for their adulthood. One of my sons had a physical thing that he had to struggle with. 
you know, when, when you're a kid, anything physically that's different about you can be a real point of contention. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in fifth grade and I tried out for band and they, they took me to the band room and they said, what instrument do you want to play? And I said, the trumpet. And they, and I, they said, well, make a noise. And I couldn't. And he took the trumpet from me and he said to me something that changed my life. He said, your lips are too big. <laughs> I had never heard that in my entire life. But I tell you, for six years after that, I thought about it. The struggles our kids face, like, like my son, he had something physical. He had to wake up and look at every day in his life. Mm. Every time he looked in the mirror, every time he was in the locker room, he had to face this thing. And I got to tell you, as a dad, sometimes it, it, it pained me to think he had to walk through this. I'm telling you something. That physical issue he had is one of the, the greatest tools that's been used in his life to form a strong identity as a young man. Mm-hmm. I tell you, that thing was leveraged. That thing was leveraged to bring out so much strength in him. And now he's a uh, almost 22-year-old, and he's just as strong as can be. But I tell you, there was a time when he was young that we actually, people said, you know, you could do, you could do a surgery and change that. I tell you, that thing he dealt with was was about 10 years of character development, and the results of it are absolutely incredible. So God bless the struggles that our kids face. May we not change them, but embrace them. That's great. But now I feel bad for the kids uh, that are good looking and athletic because it sounds like they're basically screwed at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you. I tell you, they're they're not. They're not. But it is very wise that if your if your child has it all going for them, it's very wise to think what you just thought. Mm-hmm. It's very wise because think about you and I. When everything's going our way, we don't we don't tend to go the right way when everything's going our way. Yeah, <laughs> we need some we need some friction in our life. And what I recommend uh, for students like that, because I've seen I've seen kids that are highly skilled in academics and highly skilled in athletics. And my first thought is, boy, they have a lot going against them. That's my first thought. But I have seen so many kids that are just like that, but they have real character and they have a richer identity than what they look like or the sport they play or their intelligence. And I, I, I would always interview the family to find out what's going on. And I want to tell you, this is a this is like a like life hack for family and child development. Every time I interviewed a family like that, there was always a story just like this. They would say, once a month we go to a a, a, a farm where they have ponies, and we as a family help disabled children ride ponies, mm-hmm. or we go visit nursing homes and do something for the sick it continually comes up. There are things in life that if our kids don't see it with their eyes, they just won't get it. And it is so easy in childhood. Our lives are so busy. Our child's entire life can be wrapped up in their little school, in their little group of friends, in their phone, in their house, in their activities. And it shrinks their vision. 
because they're, they're not seeing anything. They're not being. So there are some things in life kids have to be exposed to. Mm-hmm. Volunteering <laughs> is a great life hack as a parent. Volunteer, not, you know, as a parent, number one, volunteer as a parent. Like if, if you're struggling with how to, how to deal with your kids, find somewhere to volunteer with someone else's kids. Mm-hmm. You talk about turn the lights on for yourself. Um, you will learn how to better deal with your kids by watching someone else's. And as soon as your kids are old enough, if they get involved with volunteering, it will change how they think. I want to go back to the illustration of how kids want to live like a dog. I see, I want. Well, if your child is, is 9, 10 years old, let's say they're in a church and they can volunteer with five-year-olds, Mm-hmm. And they are put in a situation where they have to get this five-year-old to act differently. I tell you, the whole time they're doing that, that's working on their brain. Yeah. That's working on how they think about life. You know, you don't get to be the dog anymore. You have to be the parent. And it changes them. Mm-hmm. So that is that is something I have seen in, in any family that is really just knocking it out of the park. Things like volunteering getting out there and experiencing real hurt, real pain. uh, It's, it's life-changing. It changes how kids look at their life. Well, I I love how we're sharing a little bit of life hacks, getting kids to volunteer. It it makes total sense. And I think ultimately that's kind of what we want to, to work them towards. But I also like the idea of, of kind of disrupting the bubble because I think at, parents we do want to insulate them protect them we want them to not get hurt we want them to be the most popular we want all those things for them and so we try to create the the path that 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 allows them the least amount of resistance to get there and so i think that's good intentions but it sounds like from my conversation with you today that those intentions can actually work in in the negative and actually um prolong or delay them finding their purpose and finding their identity. I, I, I could not, I could not agree more. Yeah. I could we, not agree more. I feel like we have a little bit of, of culture of coddling. I, I kind of I cringe when uh, I don't have a daughter princess and I get it. Like she's the most important, like she's your daughter and all that other stuff. But I worry sometimes because I, I've seen people that I saw them when they grew up and they were, they were called a little princess and then they kind of took that on as their identity. And so now this entitlement comes with that too. And that's where it gets a little bit of danger, gets a little bit more dangerous because at some point that runs out that Mm. whatever, uh, whatever success they have runs out and then they're just, they're just kind of lost in it. And it, 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 it pains me to the point where you want to have that influence in their lives that you can kind of, shake them out of it or, or disrupt it or, or, or help them. But I don't know that they are always ready to receive the help at that point. They, they have so much of a process to go through at that point that it's going to take a much longer time. Whereas, you know, ideally they could have figured that out much earlier in life as opposed to, you know, having that, having that least pass of resistance to where, you know, like you said, childhood is not adulthood and I think that it's almost better to uh, creep that adulthood more into the uh, child because I think if you have a kid, I feel I feel like a lot of times you underestimate them. 
yeah. you don't give them enough credit uh, for what they're able to accomplish and what they're able to do. And I, I had that happen to me yesterday. I, I, my kid went to this junior achievement thing called BizTown, which um, is a, a really cool experience for them to get involved and basically create a little micro community. And they had jobs and they had responsibilities and they had checkbooks and money and this whole little microchasm of environment. And uh, I got to see firsthand my son be the CFO of a newspaper and uh, I was at, I was just blown away because <laughs> this was a fun exercise, and he was choosing not to take his break so that other kids would get their paychecks. And uh, he was so focused so and and so in the zone. Like I'm just like, buddy, you need to have a little bit of fun with this too, because this is designed to be fun too. But I underestimated him. I thought he'd be one of those kids running around having a good time, trying to you know flirt with the girls and hang out with the, his friends. And the whole time. He looked professional. He had his, you know, his button-down shirt on and his slacks, mm. and he was so focused on doing his job that I was, I, I completely underestimated what I thought he That's was. So do. good, you know. The dangerous thing about underestimating what our kids can do, we fail to put enough responsibility on their shoulders. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's one of those things that we, we need to kind of step away from the coddling part, step, step away from the insulating part and, and kind of step back and just allow them to make those decisions and then hopefully build that relationship with them to where if it is a tough decision for them that they are comfortable and they have your trust at that point and, and, and they're willing to talk to you. Because I think if we can establish that dialogue early, now, granted, I have kids that are not teenagers yet, so I'm, this completely might get thrown out the window when that happens. But I feel like if I can build that trust and I can have some of those real conversations with them now, when they get into that teenage years where everything starts changing, I got a chance that they might still listen to me. I don't know that that's – I know you're a little bit further along in that, but that's my theory. That maybe they might not think that uh, I, I don't know what I'm talking about and they know everything. Well, many people fear the teenage years, uh, which is kind of a waste of time. I think looking at the teenage years, the thinking should should instead be, okay, the teenage years are coming. How do I teach them now? Yeah. So they're ready for those years now. So I, so the, those conversations you're having, like you're thinking about the teenage years, you're teaching them how to have conversations and trust you now. Yeah. So you can engage in that. Uh, here's the a key principle that we try to encourage parents with. And, and that is that we are not owners, but stewards of our kids. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time that, that we did not use God in the raising of our kids. God used us in the raising of his kids. Mm-hmm. When you embrace the fact that I'm just a steward, it is incredibly liberating it's like, that means the result's not up to me. Yeah. Like, if I'm a steward, I'm like a gardener. Okay, so this plant is planted. It's, it's in the ground in my backyard. I can put a fence up to protect it from varmints, and I can go out and water it. But ultimately, the results are not up to me. And it's incredibly freeing. But if a, if, if a person realizes stewardship, what they will le- learn to do early on is put ownership into the lap of the child. Like, I'm not owning your life. That means you got to own it. Mm-hmm. It goes back to what you said earlier. We got to move that adulthood stuff back earlier. I think that we should not think, I have 18 years to raise my child. I think we have about 12. 
We have about 12. Anything you want to teach your child has got to be early because they're like jello. Yeah. Listen, if you want to add fruit to the jello, you got to do it before it sets. And around <laughs> age 13, your kid is kind of set. So if you want to teach them how to think, if you want to teach them values and character, you better start when they're about five days old. <laughs> it's like right away. I tell parents, look, don't you ever take the crust off of the sandwich for your child. And here's, here's why. Life, everything comes with crust. Everything is crusty. <laughs> Their friends are crusty. Mom and dad are crusty. English class yeah. is mostly crust. <laughs> Their job is going to have crust. It's like, it's just a principle. It's not about whether or not they should have crust or not. It's just about, you never want to take away struggle or ownership from your child. Like, this is your life. You've got to own it. And so at the earliest of ages, a parent that realizes they're a steward, they don't try to control their child. They empower their child. Yeah. And that means you got to own this kid. You want it, you go get it. Absolutely. You need it, you figure it out. Well, I feel like in this conversation, because you know, with the, the audience of the podcast and everything else, I don't know that they were completely expecting to get a lot of conversations about raising kids and, and family and all that other stuff. But I feel like there's two reasons I want to talk about this topic and I'm glad we had the opportunity to do that. I, I think the first one is you swap out the word parent for leader for leader and you swap out the totally. word kid for teammate or employee employee or whatever else you swap out those two words. And I think the principles stay the same. So I think there's a lot that we can take from this and hopefully at some point the listeners are either at a point where they want kids or are raising kids or maybe they think it's too late. Maybe they're 13 and that jello is already set. I don't know. But I feel like the principles, whether it be in, in being a leader in your home or being a leader uh, in the office at your work, those things are universal truths. And so those are some of those clues that we talk about that success leaves behind. How do we do that? How do we implement that? How do we recognize our role as a steward, as a leader? And how do we empower and give our employees or our kids mm. Uh, permission to be in charge of their own lives and and recognize that responsibility that it's up to them. It's not my job yes. to make this stuff happen for you. You're in this role. You're in this family. You're in this position. You, this is your ride, and uh, I'm on the same team with you. I'm I'm cheering for you. I'm excited for you. My job is to help direct you to that purpose. Direct you to the kind of character that we believe is going to be the most successful for you. We're positioning you for success, but at some point I'm not going to be there holding, holding the oar I mean, you're going to be there rowing the boat yourself. And, and we want to make sure that when that happens, you're able uh, to do it. You know who you are. You have that confidence to go boldly into whatever your your uh, ad next adventure is, whatever your purpose is. If we can do that, then there's my fulfillment that comes in because I've done my job as a steward to direct you into that path that you need to go. When all those things mm -hmm. could, uh, fall into place, I think that's what kind of goes back to my very beginning question of what does creating a legacy in a family look like or what does creating a legacy in leadership look like? I think it ultimately ultimately leads to fulfillment. I, we, we have that fulfillment that we've completed the task, we've done the job, we've helped the people, we've uh, provided the support, and we've given to others as that vessel instead of that container. If we're mm -hmm. able to do that, then I think that's what that legacy then looks like. And hopefully, 
we're inspiring and challenging others to take the same steps to invest in the next generation below them. So the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast turned into the Young Business Leader podcast. And when I'm gone and I'm not doing this anymore, maybe there's going to be somebody else that's that's kind of preaching this message or giving back to that next generation because they're going to listen to this and be like, hey, remember that old time thing that they used to do called podcasts? Yeah. Those, those things are so out of date. We don't, we don't do that stuff anymore. This medium will go away, but right now this medium is a way for us to kind of input and, and dive back into and give back to those leaders and, and especially use this time to learn and grow in the things that we're trying to do. Mm. Mark, I always give my guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. I want you to do two things if you can. Uh, first of all, tell them how they connect with how they can connect with you. I will put the information in the show notes, but how do they connect with you? How do they find out more about family paradigms? And secondly, I always give my guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience and say what well, your message is to young business leaders. Well, first of all, thank you for, for the conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Our website is familyparadigms.com. On Facebook, I put videos about parenting and marriage that you can access for free. That's at Family Paradigms. I guess I'd like to just, I want to talk to your listeners about the legacy thing. And that is this, that your legacy as, as, a, as a leader is ultimately not going to be the business that you build, but the family you've built. And some people feel like, well, that's a bummer because I want to build a great business. And so the feeling is if I have to build a great family, I can't do both. That's not the case. The reality is if you build your family, your family will build you. Mm. If you build that marriage, it will propel you as a leader. It'll prepare you as a leader and even platform you as a leader. I tell you, the men I see out there trying to lead business that struggle, oftentimes they struggle because their marriage is not in a good place. And because of that, they live with this chip on their shoulder. And instead of, instead of going into their world to see what they can give and do, they walk into their world trying to protect and trying to prove something. I tell you, if you build your marriage first, the rest will come along and you'll build a legacy. And you won't be like the guy that was on an airplane by himself and he was a multimillionaire and he was flying to do a, a two-month excursion and the person next to him engaged him in conversation and and the man said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this trip. And it was a two-month thing. And in, in honesty, he said, you know, I just wish that now that I have time to do this stuff with my life, that I had someone to do it with. Mm -hmm. I just want to encourage guys out there leading. The business world is fast and it's furious. It's always calling you to do more and to be more and to figure everything out and become bigger and better and brighter. And I just want to, I just want to compel you that if you will put your marriage first, your marriage will build you. It will not take away from you. And you'll be just blown away at how much your marriage will lead to effectiveness in everything that you want to do. Awesome, Mark. Thank you so much for sharing that with me and, and with my audience. Uh, I'm excited to bring uh, this conversation uh, to the listeners today. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast.